Hello there, and welcome to The Road to Nicaea, Christ, Creed, and Controversy in the Turbulent Fourth Century, part of the Earth and Altar Podcast Network. Holiday Supplemental Edition, The Ho-Ho Haymaker, or I Saw Heretics Getting Punched by Santa Claus. Christmas is fast approaching as of the airing of this episode, which means it is finally time to talk about the most famous player in the entire Nicene Saga, Santa Claus himself. Now, some of you who are familiar with this part of the story may have some questions about this. Those questions may be like, Hey, Ben, St. Nicholas doesn't show up in the story until we actually get to the council, and you haven't even wrapped up the context and background yet. Didn't you promise to tell the story in order? Why are you breaking that promise so early on? Well, my very scholarly and historical reason for doing this is simple. I would like a PlayStation 5 for Christmas. Absent some unexpected abundance in the global microchip supply, or a major financial windfall for me or my relations, I am unlikely to get a PlayStation 5 for Christmas. So I need a Christmas miracle, and I figure that giving Santa Claus his own supplemental episode sure couldn't hurt. But first, we need to separate the man from the layers of myth and legend that have surrounded them. So today, we ask the deepest question that we have yet to broach on this podcast, one that has perplexed children and adults alike for centuries. Who is this jolly old elf plastered on billboards and soda bottles, this implorer of red-nosed reindeer, this gracious giver of gluttonous and glorious gifts, this darling denizen of the North Pole? Who is Santa Claus? Now, of course, the mythic figure of Santa Claus has several different sources, many of them coming from different cultural winter festivals around the world. The historical person most associated with Santa Claus, however, is Saint Nick, also known as Nicholas of Myra, or Nicholas the Wonder Worker, due to the many miracles associated with him. Now, we know very little about his life for certain. If he wrote anything, those works haven't survived the ravages of time, and the only biographies we have of him are written centuries after his death. We do know, however, that churches were being dedicated to St. Nicholas not long after his death, which meant that he clearly attained a reputation for extraordinary holiness in his life. While the legends I am about to relate may contain a good deal of fiction, they do tell us something about the kind of minister his descendants in the faith thought him to be. St. Nicholas was probably born around 270 AD to a family of wealthy Greek-speaking Christians, and after a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, he became the bishop of the ancient city of Myra on the southwestern coast of modern-day Turkey, not all that far from Nicaea itself. Now, during his time as a bishop, Nicholas became known for his extraordinary acts of generosity. Legend tells that Nicholas heard of a man in the city who had gone bankrupt due to misfortune. This man had three daughters. Without money to pay for their dowries, they had no choice but to become sex workers in order to support themselves. To save them from this fate, Nicholas snuck into their house under the cover of night and threw a purse full of gold coins down the window. 
The man, rejoicing in this sudden, unexpected windfall, used it as a dowry and immediately arranged a marriage for his first daughter. Nicholas then came back the next night and threw a second bag of coins for the second daughter, and then the night after that for the third. The father, who by that point had become very curious as to where these mysterious sacks of gold were coming from, stayed up and caught Nicholas in the act on that third night. He fell on his feet and thanked Nicholas for his gifts, whereupon Nicholas ordered him not to tell anyone. Of course, assuming this story is historical, the father didn't follow that order, otherwise we wouldn't know about it. St. Nicholas apparently really liked helping people in groups of three. There was another early legend about him in which he saved three innocent men from execution. Apparently, there had been a sham trial in which the governor of the territory had condemned three men to death after a corrupt jury had pronounced them guilty. But as the executioner was about to swing his sword, Nicholas leapt into action, threw the executioner's sword to the ground, and chastised one of the jurors standing nearby for accepting a bribe. The juror was apparently overcome with contrition and confessed, whereupon the men were freed. This whole story just reeks of drama. One imagines St. Nicholas jumping into the scene and crying, STOP! in a melodious and resonant baritone while subtle orchestration plays in the background. It's so dramatic that there are several different versions of the story, some involving generals and soldiers and political intrigue. It's unclear what, if any, historical kernel might be behind these different tellings. But in any case, it's clear that Nicholas's early successors remembered this about him. He loved helping people, and he often helped people in threes. Since St. Nicholas loved threes so much, it should be no surprise that he was a fierce defender of Trinitarian doctrine. And that brings us to the marquee story of this episode. Legend states that Nicholas of Myra was the 151st attendee at the Council of Nicaea. He reportedly became so enraged when Arius defended his account of the son's subordination to the father that he got up from his seat, charged across the council floor, and punched Arius in the face for his blasphemy. Perhaps he even included some WWE-style moves in his takedown, bouncing off the ropes and backflipping off the edges before ending Arius with his signature move, called, of course, the Ho-Ho Haymaker. The council, which would, of course, condemn Arius at the end, was nevertheless very firm with Nicholas that punching people in the face was not allowed, and they temporarily suspended his ministerial rights as punishment. This story has become something of a meme on the internet. You can find certain extremely online Christians every holiday season telling this story, often with pictures of St. Nicholas adorned with captions like, I came here to give presents to kids and punch heretics, and I just ran out of presents. Some of them even rewrite popular Christmas tunes, such as, He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've denied the consubstantiality of the Son with the Father. So if you're a heretic, duck! So this is clearly a fun story that a lot of people have gotten a lot of laughs out of. And that is why it is my important duty, as an earnest history podcaster, to inform you that this anecdote almost certainly didn't happen. Unlike the case of Origen, where there is significant controversy as to whether he really held his more odd beliefs, with good arguments on both sides, in this case, 
There is really no good reason to think St. Nicholas did this, and many good reasons to think he didn't. What are some of those reasons? Well, for starters, none of St. Nicholas's contemporaries said he was even at the Council of Nicaea in the first place. This includes many of the most vocal defenders of Nicaea, who knew all of their strong allies. It is unlikely, very unlikely, that these people would have ignored a renowned, powerful bishop with a reputation for holiness who was in their corner. St. Nicholas doesn't get listed as an attendee of the council until the 500s, 200 years after the events of our story. There is also no account of St. Nicholas punching Arius in the face in the years after Nicaea. It only appears in the 500s, though several hundred years later. And once that story appears, we can see it develop and exaggerate in real time. The first tellings say that Nicholas didn't punch Arius, but just that he punched some heretic. Then in later stories, he punches Arius. Then in the latest tellings, he is imprisoned for punching Arius, whereupon Christ and Mary appear to him and miraculously free him from his chains. What this growth and exaggeration sounds like is the evolution of a very common Christian practice called hagiography. Now, a hagiography is a particular kind of biography that is written about a holy person or saint. Hagiographies are primarily written to edify and inspire the reader, and so authors tend to gloss over the boring biographical details or the less savory parts of their story, and instead emphasize all the really good things the saint did. As a consequence of this, Hagiographies often wind up repeating poorly sourced information or conflating two different people in an effort to make their subject look as saintly as possible. So what likely happened was this. Saint Nicholas was a really great bishop who had a reputation for being particularly kind and generous. A tradition of Christians remembering and venerating his legacy developed, and a few years later someone in this tradition decides to write about what Saint Nicholas did. Putting two and two together, the hagiographer realizes that Nicholas would have been a bishop during the Council of Nicaea. Now, since people in the 500s generally thought the council was the bee's knees, the hagiographer would of course have thought that a saint like Nicholas would be at the council, and of course he would have backed the right side. Where did the story of him punching Arius come from? We don't know. Perhaps the hagiographer knew of a story in which an unnamed bishop had attacked Arius at the council and assumed it was Saint Nicholas. Or perhaps he just assumed that a big saint would be so passionate about the Trinity that, I mean, how could you not punch Arius in the face? Or perhaps the hagiographer just made up the story because he thought it would be edifying. This will be a recurrent theme whenever you read a hagiography, and there will be at least one more that occupies a prominent role in our story. Now, hagiographies make for great, very entertaining because that is what they are meant to be, great reading. Think of them kind of like movies that say at the beginning that they are based on historical events. There's going to be some kernel of truth at the basis of the story, but if you take every bit as fact, you are going to be sorely disappointed. So, that's the story of Saint Nicholas. Bishop, wonder worker, inspiration for 10,000 legends of jolly old present-giving men, but probably not a heretic puncher. But I can't leave this episode there. 
For in debunking some of the hagiographical myths surrounding the man, I worry that I have left you with a bit less holiday cheer than when you started the episode. I mean, after all, nobody likes seeing a hagiography debunked. You may be thinking that if we don't know almost anything about this man, if he wasn't the tireless champion of Trinitarian orthodoxy, if he perhaps didn't dramatically save a trio of men from death and a trio of women from penury, then what do we know about him? Is there really a St. Nicholas at all? To which I must wholeheartedly say, yes, dear listener, there is a St. Nicholas. Some people think that nothing can be which is not comprehensible by their little minds. All minds, dear listener, whether they be adults or children's, are little. In this great universe of ours, we are a mere insect, an ant in our intellects. As compared with the boundless world about us, as measured by the intelligence capable of grasping the whole of truth and knowledge. Yes, dear listener, there is a St. Nicholas. He exists as certainly as love and generosity and haggling over proper Trinitarian theology exist, and you know that they abound and give to your lives their highest beauty and joy. Alas, how dreary would the world be if there were no St. Nicholases? It would be as dreary as if there were no church history podcasts. There would be no childlike faith then, no memes, no fanciful stories to make tolerable this existence. We should have no enjoyment except in sense and sight. The eternal light with which misremembered sainthood fills the world would be extinguished. No Saint Nicholas. Thank God he lives and he lives forever in the communion of saints. A thousand years from now, dear listener, nay, ten times ten thousand years from now, his generosity and passion will continue to make glad the heart of church history podcasters. And so I invite you in this Christmas season to remember him as his successors did. A deeply generous soul, a courageous, life-saving minister, and a passionate defender of Trinitarian theology who, like many of us, had a bit further to go along the road to nice Ia. <laughs> That's the worst joke I've ever told. I'm going to use it again. This is an Earth and Alter Podcast Network production. For more podcasts and weekly articles, visit us at earthandaltermag.com.